Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. And joining us today in the studio it is the Times' very own James Restall. Coming up, we're going to discuss the Premier League sack race, which is already hotting up. But we're going to start with a thriller at Bramall Lane. It was a three-all draw in the end between Sheffield United and Manchester United. The front page of the game today reads, at least the kids can play as three scorers were under 23 in this uh, fantastic draw in the end. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer admitted he would have substituted all 10 outfield players at halftime if he could have done so. A chaotic three goals in seven minutes saved United's blushes before letting the Blades back in in the dying moments of what was that epic three-all draw. Henry Winter writes in the game today, an epic clash fails to hide flaws in Solskjaer's side. Ole praised his side for showing the character to get back into the game. But James, why are they allowing themselves to get into such difficult positions? I thought Ole got it wrong by trying to match Sheffield United's three at the back formation um he went with a 3-4-3 Sheffield United had three in the middle and they were just completely overrun in midfield in the first half I also thought it was a huge mistake bringing Phil Jones in for I think his first Premier League appearance um uh, he just couldn't handle Lise Mousset at all Mm -hmm. um he was he was bullied off the ball and um I think I think was it the, the MEN gave Phil Jones a one out of ten for his performance in the first half, which is you know well, it's, nice. it's very harsh, Stamming. but it's 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 it, you know kind says of it all to give really. them one, kind to give one maybe. And, <laughs> yeah, I think I think you know really there is a common theme with United and 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 getting behind in in games, but tactically first half all wrong. Let me ask you, Gregor, the fact that the way he set up Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to take on a Sheffield United side that at home in particular, well, it's just such a fortress at Bramall Lane. Is this all down to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's tactics or are the players simply not good enough? I think it's a bit of both. I think, you know, it's hard to see why they switched to three at the back. Were they trying to match up Sheffield United? And what does that say about the two coaches and how kind of well-drilled those two teams are? Mm. And the fact that Man United are trying to match up Sheffield United, you know? (laughs) Um, But look, there are still huge kind of flaws in their team particularly in midfield. Fred has had a slight sort of uh, renaissance in the last few weeks, but he was he was back to his old best, I think, really. Pereira as well, he, you know, there's been the odd game where they kind of, you know, you, you see a glimmer of something, you think maybe he's, maybe this is a, he's turned a corner here and then not. Um, I, I, yeah, I think look, there's always, the goals came from nowhere, absolutely nowhere. You know, I think Sheffield United dominated three quarters of the match, outfought and outplayed them. And but Manchester United still do have that talent 
in reserve and, and up front, you know, brought on Greenwood and that front three as as still kind of blessed with great skill and pace. Um and they kind of got them out of jail really, I think. That that's the one thing that Manchester United have at the moment. When they're fire firing all cylinders, those players, they've got a chance. But um behind them it's it's a huge you know, Scott McTominay is missing and, and the fact that he was missed so badly says a lot about Manchester United right now, I think. At 72 minutes, it was looking good for Sheffield United. 2-0 up, James. 79 minutes, it all turned. It was 3-2 to Manchester United. But why does it take until so late on for Manchester United to to get back into a game that most perhaps would have thought wouldn't have been so one-sided? I think Solskjaer deserves credit for changing things for changing the shape putting them on the front foot and but they were playing without fear and i think and i think that was that's the that's the key thing i think those particularly the younger players they looked like they were going for it and they looked like they they were kind of you know they were playing without a care and and i think that that really they need to get back to that i think they're just far too hesitant and far too kind of they're doubting themselves when they're playing at the moment well, Solskjaer has said his side will learn valuable lessons, Gregor, from that draw. After 14 Premier League games, though, the table is a sort of rather strange look at it. Fifth, sixth and seventh belong to Wolves, Sheffield United and Burnley, whereas eighth, ninth and tenth belong to Arsenal, Manchester United and Tottenham. Are we seeing a change in the Premier League in terms of the strength? Is it broadening? I think the rest of the Premier League is is getting stronger, broadly speaking, but you know there's still a I think a seven point gap between Chelsea and Wolves. There will always I think really it would take a huge Leicester have broken into that that top four. It would take a hell of a lot for for anyone else to do so really. You know until Josie Mourinho uh, pitched up at, at Spurs, you wouldn't have given them much hope. But you never know now. Manchester United I think are going to struggle, and unless Arsenal make a change, I think they'll struggle as well. So it is a little bit more open this year, and I think both the kind of strengthening of the rest of the Premier League and the sort of compounded by the fact that three of three of the teams that you would think would be competing for the top six have been woefully bad this season. There's one thing I would say about that as well, looking at those three teams you mentioned, Wolves, Sheffield United, Burnley, all three clubs with established managers, clear identities and systems that those players are really comfortable playing in. And I mean Burnley, you know, we all know we all we all know a lot about Burnley and Sean Dyche keeps doing an amazing job year on year Wolves um, under Nuno they they seem to be dealing really well with the pressure of Europa League but they have a style they have a they have an identity and you look at Arsenal Manchester United and Tottenham this season and can you say there's an identity there no that's a good point I think those three those three clubs have got a kind of you know what they're all about and they've, they've kind of they've done the same thing for a, for a number of years now and there's been a lot of flux at some of these big clubs and, and it's not really... The managers are really struggling to hold on to the jobs as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how whether they can kind of maintain those those positions near the kind of... just outside the top six. Well, talking of identity then, Sheffield United are, are wowing the Premier League with, with how they play. And uh, £10 million Lise Mousset is proving to be one of the Premier League's buys of the summer. Four goals and three assists in the league since his arrival from... Bournemouth. Chris Wilder seems to have well, a player on his hands, especially when a lot of people were questioning the amount of money he spent on somebody that didn't really do much at Bournemouth. You've played with him, Gregor, as mentioned many times. I'm talking about Chris Wilder, of course. What do you think he'd be doing to get the very best out of these players? The same as he's ever done. I think when it when you look at Moussey, I think 
what he brings is something that he lacked last season in that they had Billy Sharp and David McGoldrick, David McGoldrick up front and Moussi is, is lightning quick and I think they've made a little switch as well in their, in this, their style of play this year in that they used to have Mark Duffy in, in the number 10 role with two up top and two midfielders and they kind of realised recognised that they need to have three midfielders who have been you know they're gaining real plaudits now this season but that meant that they need someone that can stretch the game and I think that's why Moussa has been such a success you know there's I think Sheffield United are third or fourth in, in, the, in sort of number of long balls played in the Premier League but they're not like aimless hoofs up the park often it's kind of really stretching stretching the opponents and that allows some, some space for for the midfielders to play so you know I what, what has he done I don't think he's done anything particularly different I think he's a motivator that's what he's best at and he's as I've said before Alan Nill alongside him who's the kind of it'd be too harsh to say the brains of the operation but he's he's kind of the tactical he works on that shape and on tra- training every day and he notices the kind of little tweaks that might need to be made and Chris Wilder comes alive on a Saturday and and Look, they're doing, they're doing remarkably well and long may it continue. Well, they are a side that seem this season, James, to be giving the big teams a, a real headache. Yesterday, of course, another example of not knowing how to handle Wilder's uh, style, especially in that first half for Manchester United. Should Sheffield United be worried about the future of Chris Wilder? Because surely uh, there will be other clubs looking on with interest. Um, I, I go back to, I think, what I said last week about Brendan Rodgers. I think, you know, Sheffield United maybe maybe in the long term might be a bit worried but for the for the, for the rest of this season I don't see why Wilder would want to leave honestly I mean they've, they've they've got a fighting chance of getting into that top 6 so 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 why not stay why not see it through Can I you think, s- uh, no yeah I think there's Is he the type of person that likes to fulfill a project do you think I don't even know if that's he's at the club of his dreams he's at mm. his boyhood club it's going to take something pretty special and I don't think a West Ham or an Everton or you know some of these clubs who are on the kind of brink of of perhaps making a change, I I think they might show an interest now. That might be a kind of that's a kind of changing point. I think you know people like Sean Dyche over the years have been lauded as well for what they've done, but no one's really ever taken a mm. a punt and said and tried to go for him. I think he he possibly would be open to that, but I think it's because Sheffield United, as as well as having those old school values and being you know full of running and and not scared to just stick it into row Z, they also play some really exciting football. And I think people have sat up and noticed that this year. So I think some clubs will, per- will perhaps make an approach for them. But I don't think it's going to take a... I think it's probably a handful of clubs in the Premier League, maybe not even a handful, that he would even consider leaving Sheffield United for. Let's talk about one of Manchester United's former managers who's back in employment, of course. That is Jose Mourinho once again. Made a winning start to life in the Premier League. It was a 3-2 victory at London rivals West Ham, which gave the former Chelsea and United boss a great start to life with Spurs. Jose made a, quite a statement by leaving out Christian Eriksen, bringing in Eric Dyer, a man he has always admired. What did you make of Mourinho's first eleven, James? Um, I think we could have all expected Eric Dyer to be back in. Um, he's a player that Jose's coveted in the past. Mm. Um, and I think... Keeping that four-two-three-one with two holding midfielders, and then the four more attacking players in front gave them a real structure. I thought it was brilliant to see Deli Ali in a number ten role behind Kane, and I thought that what was most striking, I think, it was the, those two moments in I think the first six minutes where Ali slipped Kane in, and I think he was offside on both occasions. But it was a real signal of intent, and I thought that's 
I think we're going to see a lot more of that from Tottenham under Jose Mourinho. It was interesting you mentioned Deli Ali. Of course, there's now this famous suggestion that he'd gone up when he was introducing himself to Jose to Deli Ali at uh, Tottenham training by saying, basically, "Who are you? Are you Deli Ali or you're Deli Ali's brother?" And he obviously responded by saying that he's Deli Ali and that's who he wants to go and see. And Jose Mourinho was saying that's who he wants to go and see out on the pitch, Deli Ali. I mean, it's quite inspi- inspiring words, isn't it, Gregor? <laughs> yeah, with well, a sort of a little dash of humour as well. Yeah, I think. but look. Uh, this is still Josie Mourinho, you know. I know he's had he's had these issues in recent years, but this is a, a big, a huge shift for Pochettino to leave. But when the guy who's coming in is is someone of his stature, they're going to listen to what he says. And if he's put an arm around Daly Alley and said some encouraging words, then that will have given him a bounce. And look, we we could have expected this. There's, as we say, the new manager bounce, um, the stature of the stature of Josie Mourinho, and they're all playing for. They're all playing for their futures and for a place in his team and to be part of something that they hope is going to be... You know, Harry Kane, Harry Kane has talked about how much he wants to win silverware and he he almost seems to believe that that's more likely now that they have somebody who wins trophies wherever mm. he is. You know, it was a lovely lovely journey they went on with Pochettino, but perhaps that, you know, that came to a natural end and I think some of them are looking and thinking we could get some medals here. James, you mentioned, obviously, Deli Alli playing as the playmaker. We've spoken about the inspirational words that Jose Mourinho has given or spoke to him pre this match at West Ham. If Deli Alli is on song, does that make Tottenham even better? It's not all about him, I know, but does that make them even better? I think the season they finished second to Chelsea, it was... You know, Deli Alli was in double figures, I think, for goals and assists. You know, he was he was not just a creator but a goal scorer and he was getting alongside Harry Kane and they were a real threat and I think it's not just those two it's that front four of Son, Mora, Ali and Kane that's 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 a real threat and what was great to see was the two sort of wide forwards really looking to get in behind and get into the box and you know people talk about Jose's teams being park the bus and boring teams but I mean that was in the first half Tottenham were actually quite exciting to watch in in, in spells and you know, if that's a glimmer of things to come, I think you know Tottenham fans should be very happy. Um, but we, you know, that's it's just one game. It's just one game. <laughs> Shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. No. Is that what you're saying, James? But obviously, it was looking really good for them at one stage. They were three 0 up, but then late on they conceded uh, a goal to Mikel Antonio, and then a very very late goal uh, to Ogbonna uh, as well. Defensively, that is a big issue for Jose Mourinho, Gregor. Yeah, I, I think he has the basis of a of a what could potentially be a really successful team. I think, you know, he put it down perhaps to the kind of, emo- he said, the emotions of, of this sort of changeover in the last week. And, uh, but it has been an issue for, for Spurs of late. And I think, I honestly think sort of reintegrating Jan Vertonghen is going to be, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. You know, he's not played, he's played hardly any football at all. So it would have been a big statement just to throw him back in. Um, but they were the best, they were the best defensive pair in, in the league for for a couple of seasons until maybe 18 months ago. Um, if he gets a right back in January, you know, I, I know he's not, he's been told he's not going to have much money to spend, but that is a pretty important mm-hmm. one. I think Aurier, he's not bad going forward. Uh, lovely cross for Harry Kane um, for his goal, but defensively he has got a rick on him. Um, so I think if they sign a right back, he's, like, like I said last week, I think they have the basis of a solid defence uh, they've got options in midfield and as James was saying they've got a, a dynamic front four that really suits 
the way that Mourinho likes to play and, is, and the way sort of his most successful teams have played. You mentioned Vertonghen then. He's one of a number of players who's coming to the end of his contract at Tottenham. Uh, Alderweireld, Rose, Eriksson uh, as well. Is, is this going to be a big factor for Jose Mourinho to try and keep hold of them? Or do you think, James, he could actually just say, it's time for you to go and I can rebuild without you? Big statement leaving Eriksson on the bench. Um, uh, it was a signal... Really, to, and I think he alluded to it in his press conference as well, and sort of said, "If you, you know, it, it, players who want to stay at the club will get in his team." And I think in January, I think they will have the option to leave the club. Um, but at the same time, um, I wonder if if those players, with maybe looking the way Harry Kane has spoken and Eric Dyer has spoken after the game, that they think they might be more likely to win trophies, they might well stay. I think Eriksson's it's likely to be up to him, really. I mm. think. You know, I think Mourinho would like like to have him if he was willing to stay. He's someone who's probably going to be coveted a bit more than than the rest. You know, they're the wrong side of thirty now, the two centre halves. So, and it's as I said, it's, the sort of dynamic has changed dramatically. It used to be that Pochettino thought that these players were too old, and now that's a kind of virtue for for Jose Mourinho. So, I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the centre half stay. I think Eriksson possibly will have a lucrative move on the horizon. Well, talking about incomings, it has been ruled out. There's not going to be as Latin Ibrahimovic at Tottenham. Obviously, uh, he has played for Manchester United in the Premier League before, but he's not coming back to the Premier League with Tottenham anyway. No, um, I think it would have been a really surprising move. That <laughs> um, I think the thing is, you you know, is he going to start ahead of Harry Kane? No. Um, we've got to remember, and I know he was recovering from a very serious injury. He didn't look the same player in the Premier League after that injury when he when he came back briefly for United mm-hmm. before moving to America. He's had a, he's had a, an, an amazing career, um, and I can't lie, but say it would be great to see him in the Premier League again because he was box office when he was here. Um, but I think it's probably it's the right decision for Tottenham not to entertain thoughts of signing him. Yeah, Jose Mourinho confirming they're not in for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Will Tottenham move up to tenth? They're now. Nine points from the Champions League places. It's not been a great starting point for Jose Mourinho, but is the ultimate goal this season to catch up with the top four and can they do it? I think they've got a good chance. I do. I think uh, out of all the teams that are kind of in that chasing pack, although most of them aren't in the chasing pack, it's, <laughs> you know, like, as we said, Wolves, Sheffield United, Burnley, not expected to be there. So um, I think Arsenal and Manchester United, it could depend on certainly Arsenal who they have in the dugout they don't look like there's any sort of upward curve going to materialise there um, and Manchester United seem to be flipping from from good to bad with, with, with regular frequency so I think I think Tottenham are probably the team that they've got the best chance of, of narrowing that gap but it's going to be it's a big gap to narrow now the sack race is well and truly on a bad weekend to West Ham, Watford, Arsenal and Everton. Marco Silva, of course, spent big in the summer and is delivering very little so far. Norwich propelled themselves to within a point of safety after winning away 2-0 against Marco Silva's side. And patience is starting to wear thin with the fans. So the fans aren't happy, Gregor. Can you understand that? Absolutely, given the given the amount of money they've spent. Um you know, I just think that that Everton are one of a number of clubs who they've got two issues. They've got kind of structural, hierarchical kind of question marks about the the running of the club, the the recruitment they do, um, and then they've also got the question mark of about how 
how efficient, how sort of effective their manager is. And when people like Chris Wilder and, and Sean Deitch and Eddie Howe, these people we've been speaking of, Nuno, have such clear sort of such a clear impact and and effect on the team on the group of players with smaller resources, it kind of doesn't look good for for people like Marco Silva, and he's already had several kind of several Premier League clubs. Mm. He seems to be, in fact, probably one of the luckiest Premier League managers has ever been, really. Um, and there's always glimmers of the kind of dynamic, uh, free flowing football, attacking football that he that he wants to play. And and players often speak of he's he's working the training ground, how good a coach he is, he's sort of the the detail of his work. But there's just seems to be something. There's there seems to be something. There's always a blind spots about set pieces has been a huge issue for him uh, and really defensively almost everywhere he's been uh, there have been serious troubles but as I say there are still there are issues that ever and about recruitment and and the ownership of the club that aren't down to him so I think there's two things two things that you've got to balance up here but he's on shaky ground He's on shaky ground what do you think it is about Marco Silva that wowed Everton because as Gregor alluded to he has managed in the Premier League before. He's managed for Hull. He's managed for Watford as well. And actually, really, has he been that convincing? I think what typifies him when he comes in is his teams always seem to have a brilliant start. There seems to be a real change in the way they play. There's real dynamism. Um, They go for it. Um, I think, you know, when he came in at Hull, they were looking pretty doomed and he gave them a fighting chance of staying up, albeit they didn't stay up. Mm. Um, but you could kind of excuse it because you were kind of, you know, given the start they'd had to that season. Um, I think didn't Steve Bruce leave on pretty early into the season or just at the start? So they, they were they, the relegation always looked on the cards for them. Um, and then at Watford, at Watford, there was a similar pattern. And I think... Mm. Um, I think particularly because they signed they signed Richarlison as well, who Silver had worked with, and I think there were you know there were signs there of something positive, but I, I, it's it seems like history is repeating itself again and again and again with him. Well, the Times has Paul Joyce watched Norwich's win at Goodison and writes in the game today that Silver stays, but maybe only to buy club time. And Paul joins us now. At Paul, four points from a possible six would have given Everton fans some hope before the international break, but a win. For relegation threatened Norwich leaves Silver in a dangerous position. Are we getting closer to the end of his reign at Everton? I think so, yeah. I think I agree with a lot of what Gregor said then, in that it's not solely his fault, but he should be able to marshal a team from the resources that he had at his disposal at the weekend to beat Norwich. One of the biggest issues probably for Everton is that Mashiri has already changed four managers during his time at the club. They have to have a plan that they can execute properly that takes the club forward in the long term. And I think the reluctance to make a change straight away suggests that they haven't got the manager who they think can do that, who can come in now. I have a bit of sympathy for Silver, and, and it goes back to the point Gregor was making about recruitment in that I don't think he has the players at his disposal to play the way that he wants to play, which would be a high-tempo sort of blueprint of football. And I think that is a consequence of poor recruitment from Marcel Brands, to an extent, the director of football. I think there was a point in the second half on Saturday where Everton were tra- still trailing 1-0. If they beat Norwich, they move, I think, eight points clear of the relegation zone with this horrendous run of fixtures to follow. So they've got a bit of breathing space then. 
if, if they beat Norwich. And at 1-0 to Norwich, he put he swapped the right-backs over. So he brought on Seamus Coleman, took off Jibril Sidibe and left Moyes Keane on, on the bench. And that, to me, sort of said that that wasn't his signing, that was Marcel Brands' signing. And I think that's the grey area at Everton. I think the players Marco Silva would have wanted to sign in the summer didn't come. And there's reasons for that, because I think he wanted somebody like Nicolas Pepe, for example, and that was beyond Everton's means. I don't think the manager and the director of football have been on the same place. Brands has brought in a, a striker in Moise Keane who could become a good player. But if you're then saying to Silva that he has to get in a European spot, then a 19-year-old who made seven starts for Juventus last season, or however many it is, there's an element of doubt that he can be the player that propels you to that European spot. So I think Silva would have wanted somebody more experienced, more ready to hit the ground running. Well, yes. I mean, it does feel as though it is all in... Well, like Everton are all in disarray. Twitter's been full of Everton fans praying for Maurizio Pochettino's services over the last few days. I know you're suggesting there's not going to be an immediate change anytime soon. Pochettino may well be out of their reach, but there have been some reports that a former manager and uh, a bit of a legend at the club could take over temporarily. And I'm talking about David Moyes. He is available. Do you think he could reignite his relationship with the Goodison Park faithful? Yeah, I think it's very difficult to say in, in one respect because a piece could fall into place at any point and then there could be a change or or they're not going to get who they want. We have this situation where it drags on for a little bit. I can say to belief in that David Moyes was the right man at this moment. I think they could do that now. The flip side of that is, what is the attraction for David Moyes of coming in as an interim manager, possibly to the end of the season? I don't think Everton want an interim manager. I think they want a long-term solution. But I think there would be a reluctance to give Moyes maybe a long-term contract. Well, Marco Silva isn't the only man close to the chopping board at the Emirates. Unai Emery left the field to a chorus of sacked in the morning and booze after needing a desperate late leveller against relegation-battling Southampton. Things were no better for Manuel Pellegrini at the London Stadium. A couple of late goals saved West Ham's blushes against their fierce city rivals Tottenham, but it was another game without any points, leaving them close to the drop zone. We know what the Premier League is like. Managers are certainly not given time anymore. And after the departure of Pochettino at Tottenham last week, how worried will those three be this week, Gregor? And could you actually suggest which one could be the first to go? I could suggest the one I would say should be first to go, and that's Unai Emery. Um, it's so toxic at the Emirates. You know the, how loud those boos were at the final whistle and even beforehand. Um, and really just how little evidence there is of any improvement. In fact, Arsenal are worse than, than they were under under Wenger, even even in the last season or two. Um, James Gearbrandt wrote a really interesting piece today about the kind of boring down into the figures of Arsenal's sort of ineptitude this year. They're ranked 15th for tackles and bottom for interceptions, which says a lot. Uh, and you look at the way that they reacted for that, that first goal and... and David Luiz was still kind of throwing his hands around and wasn't even hadn't even retreated back into the penalty box, mm. and Southampton had the ball in the back of the net. This was after a it just switched sh- off. Short free kick was taken. Yeah. Like, Almost yeah. all of them did, but yeah. but the rest reacted. You know, he just looks like a more more and more ludicrous signing by the week. Uh, 
And then there's things about going forward as well. You know, you, th- you think Arsenal have, we spoke about this at the start of the season, having one of the best kind of front threes and some of the most, you know, thrilling players attacking wise in the Premier League. And they've, as James Gearbrand wrote, they've been outshot by, by I think it's 16.8 attempts from other teams to 12.5 on average. So every week, other teams are having significantly more shots on goal. Um, and that's almost the exact reverse to what it was in Wenger's last season. So uh, the team has gone backwards and they're shambolic defensively. You know, some, every Arsenal game now looks like it descends into a game of basketball. They, it's so wide open. And, and you know, James has sort of, sort of reaffirmed what you already saw with your eyes with these stats here, you know. Such, you know, vast open sort of spaces. No one really closing down or looking like they know what, what kind of they're doing and there's so many there's been so many sort of flip-flops between formations it just seems like no one really knows what they're doing um I think Arsenal need to make a change James do you think it we're being a little bit unfair on Unai Emery because was it was it not always going to get worse before it got better having to come in to replace someone who'd been there for years on we saw it Manchester United it's taken forever it feels for someone to get it right there since Sir Alex Ferguson when Sir Alex Ferguson retired, um, David Moyes was having to follow the most recent Premier League champions. I think it's fair to say Arsenal were at relatively rock bottom when Wenger left. You know, they they were. I think they'd fin- you know they finished some way off the Champions League places. Um, they didn't really look like challenging for the title. hadn't hadn't looked like cha- challenging for the title for a number of seasons. Um, and I know you know we, we mentioned James's stats. I think what is fascinating, Emery's managed 51 games in the Premier League now. He's won exactly the same number of points that Arsene Wenger won over his last 51 games in charge. But you look at the numbers, more goals conceded, fewer goals scored, more shots on their goal, fewer shots taken, even the possession stats are down, the passing accuracy is down. So Arsenal fans are getting the same result, but a worse product to watch. Mm. And, and it's across the pitch. And it's, and it's, and it's across the pitch. And... The thing is, you can question Arsenal's recruitment because for years now people have been saying they haven't had a strong enough defence. You look at those those brilliant teams under Wenger in 98-2002, that's built on a rock-solid foundation of Keown and Adams or on, you know, Sol Campbell and Colo Torre. You know, you, you've got, you, you have to have the platform at the back to build from if you want to attack and, and, and play brilliant football. And, um, and I think that, you know, a succession of seasons have gone by and Arsenal have not addressed that key issue. Again, again, like, as I said, all these teams that we're going to be speaking about was coming to West Ham. I think all of them, again, have issues upstairs in the boardroom and in recruitment. So it's not all down to the manager, but again, we're not we're not seeing any evidence of his sort of, his identity or his sort of imprint on this on this Arsenal team, and it's getting worse by the week, and the atmosphere is getting worse by the week. So uh, again, I think they will be looking; they'll already be looking for someone else. Uh, it's just a matter of when they find that person. I think Emery will be gone. Well, West Ham are only three points away from the drop zone after that loss to Tottenham in the London derby on Saturday, on a day that was all supposed to be about Jose Mourinho. Roberto, the Hammers' standing goalkeeper, took the headlines. From the moment he came for a punch and missed it, home fans baited the former Malaga keeper repeatedly. Now, West Ham have picked up just two points from the last 21 available in the Premier League. 
Starting off on Roberto, we'll get to the future of Manuel Pellegrini in just a moment. Obviously, he's come in to replace the, the Lucas Fabianski, who is injured and injured for quite a while as well. He's kept just the one clean sheet since playing for West Ham. Nine games. That clean sheet came against Newport in the EFL Cup. Oh, what is it about Roberto? Is he someone, Gregor, that looks as though he has just lost complete confidence? It, it looks worse than that. He looks terrified. Yeah. He looks scared to even like throw his hands in the direction of the ball. Or, you know, if he comes out, he just looks petrified in the penalty box. And I've seen this before. I feel so, you know, I feel really sorry for him actually watching this. Mm. He needs to be taken out, and I don't know, not sure why they aren't. Um, a friend of mine, he will not, he will not thank me for telling the story, but a friend of mine, uh, a guy called Barry Roach, when I, we were at Nottingham Forest, he had the worst sort of accident befell him on the football pitch, and that we were playing Derby County, local rivals, and the ball was it was a windy day, and the ball was rolled passed back to him. And it bubbled up over a coffee cup and he shanked the ball straight to, I think it was Pesca oh. Salido, and he scored. And this is a We never I, had coffee cup gate like we had beach ball he was, gate. He was called, the, the, the point is, he was also a stand in. Oh. This was kind of. Gosh. He was, our, he was, he was like a young, a young guy who'd come through the academy, stepped in um, for injury. And any time he played, he had to play for the next couple of months. Any time he came to catch a cross or anything there was almost like a sigh around the city ground and relief when he got but you know anything that was just and he had a really really tough time and he saw him he saw how much it sort of affected him as well so i feel i watch this and you see the same thing he's just terrified and i don't you know i don't know why maybe just the first error he's just kind of confidence has been shattered completely from it it's very hard to get out of so you know they've got to make a change yeah it's 20 goals that he's conceded in nine games for West Ham. They do have David Martin there. There are some conflicting reports that he's only signed like a training ground contract, which means obviously Roberto would always be ahead of him unless there was an injury. But the way things are going for Roberto, James, surely Manuel Pellegrini has to take him out of the firing line. It can't be good for the guy's confidence to have your own fans sort of mm. ironically cheering when you catch a ball. And I mean, and it's and, and that sort of lack of security in his own position and his own performance must breed sort of a lack of confidence throughout the team what I wanted to ask what I wanted to ask you Gregor was as as a defender what's it like when you've got a goalkeeper who's going through a bad patch who's making mistakes do you does it sort of add an element of doubt to your own performance Mm. yeah I think the nerves kind of ripple through the side absolutely and you know (laughs) anytime the ball's thrown into the box or you're kind of try that a little bit harder not for for a cross not to be not to let a cross go into the box, you know. Um, I think it does. I think nerves, the nerves kind of... Breathe. So, yeah, they do, yeah. So mm. um, it's not helping West Ham at all. Um, and I, I, like I say, I feel, I feel very sorry for him. As I mentioned then, David Martin, who is the son of West Ham legend, defender Alvin Martin, is at the club. So there is that issue about the contract and whether or not he could actually play ahead of Roberto. But when you've got games against Chelsea, Wolves, Arsenal, Southampton to come, Gregor, would you be expecting Pellegrini, if he can get around this contract situation, to put David Martin in, just to give him a go? He's never played in the Premier League, but should that matter? No, not at all. He's, you know, he's played a few hundred league games. He's a very capable goalkeeper. And, and if he can't f- fix that, then... I'd be amazed if West Ham don't have someone in their academy 
who is <laughs> at least some way a prospect. And I'm sure they would do better because you really can't do much worse. It, it does, you know, every goal, it's like if you shoot on target, Son's shot even, you know, it was, he struck it well, but it was it was almost under his elbow. He just, he just, he just looks scared. He looks scared to be on the pitch. So uh, I think it's vital that they make that change, yeah. The one thing I would say, Roberto hadn't played in the Premier League before this season. Ah, very true. So why not give Martin a go? Yeah, absolutely. And it does seem odd that when you're losing as you are, that uh, Manuel Pellegrini is persisting with someone who is sadly costing them points. And I know Tony Cascarino in the game today has written about um, Roberto saying, I'm not sure I've ever seen a worse keeper in the Premier League. Game after game, he's making mistake after mistake. He's been so poor, I don't know why he is keeping his place. Mention Manuel Pellegrini then. Uh, Things not going well for West Ham. They haven't won uh, in the league since the 22nd of September. That was when they uh, beat Manchester United by two goals to nil. James, do you think Manuel Pellegrini could lose his job this week? I'm not sure this week. I do think, I know we've talked about the goalkeeping situation, but that... That is that is causing that is a huge factor in their downturn in form. Um, so I feel sorry for them in that respect. Um, but uh, but it's it, yeah, it, he, he, his job is, his job must be under threat now. It is interesting, isn't it? Because in that victory over Manchester United, it was Fabianski in goal for West Ham, and I think was also in goal for their draw with Bournemouth. But obviously picked up that injury in that game as well. At the other end of the pitch for West Ham, Gregor, they have spent big money on Sebastian Aller. The front three at the club have the potential to be exciting when you add in Felipe Anderson and Andre Yarmolenko as well. But four goals so far from 13 appearances for Haller isn't a great return yet for £45 million spent. No. Um, he was a big hope. You know, there's been... West Ham have struggled to have a big kind of number nine for, for many, many years now, really. Uh and it were you know it started quite promisingly. There was you know there was a lot of encouraging signs in in August. Um, I think you know I, I don't I think it'd be harsh to kind of lay this at his door or even mm. he's he's come you know he's come, Just quite come happy to, to lay at the other end with a goalkeeper. Absolutely, yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's clear and obvious. He's a uh, <laughs> don't bring VAR into this. <laughs> he's um but no no he's he's come to a new country. He's relatively young. Uh, I think. It's been difficult, and he's playing in a team that's that's really really struggling for form. And again, again, I would just look to, I would look to sort of board level at West Ham as well, and just think there's a real lack of sort of intelligence, a lack of sort of they they bring in they they brought in Pellegrini and Mario Husilos as as his director of football, and that was sort of appearing and sort of again they always just seem to say leave it at the door of. Of the manager and 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 Pellegrini's man, and it's not worked. So it's going to be an expensive, an expensive thing to change for them if they if they do opt to do so. And that sporting director was who brought in Roberto, because he knew him from Malaga. Well, yeah, that that, that goes well for him, doesn't it? Mm. And finally, Sergio Aguero is out of the Manchester derby. It's been confirmed by Pep Guardiola that Aguero will miss the Manchester derby after the striker sustained an injury during City's win over Chelsea. He hobbled off Aguero after 77 minutes in that 2-1 win over Chelsea on Saturday and was replaced by the Brazil forward Gabriel Jesus. Guardiola said this, he'll be out for a few games, a few weeks. Exactly, I don't know. He has a tendon problem, will be out for a few games. So, no Sergio Aguero. 
the position for Manchester City right now in the Premier League isn't as rosy as they would like it to be. How big a blow, James, is it for them to not have his services for a while? Um, Aguero is probably uh, he's up there with the best foreign imports in Premier League history. Of course, it's going to be a huge blow <laughs> not having him there. I mean, this this season he's been particularly lethal in that he's got an amazing record of if he hits the target, he pretty much scores. Um, they do have a, a, a very good replacement in Gabriel Jesus, albeit he's not scored in his last six. Um, but there's a lot of firepower throughout that team. You know, Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne, David Silva. So, and um, and they'll have Bernardo Silva coming back. So, there there is enough. Mm. You'd think there's enough in that team, not for them to be reliant on on Sergio Aguero, but it's undoubtedly a blow. Yeah, I mean, if, if ever there's a team that has strength and depth, it is going to be Manchester City. But he has scored 13 goals in 16 appearances. So he's, he's already been prolific this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with James. I th- he's always going to be a huge miss, but they've got Newcastle and Burnley beforehand, uh, games that we expect to win. And Manchester United, they're, they're not playing the same Manchester United as ever. I know it's uh, it's a local derby, but I, I agree with James. I think they've got so much firepower and... and uh, and the movement, you know, it's kind of... It's the way they construct the goals. Aguero's the man on the end of them, often because he, he sniffs them out, but there's Ryan Sterling and De Bruyne making making moves and, and uh, De Bruyne is crosses into the box. I think I think Jesus is a, an adequate replacement. Now, some devils have been at work. Since 2012, Aguero has missed 105 days over the festive period. This could obviously be a coincidence that he's just picked up this injury, but... Looking into the football world, the murky football world, Gregor, <laughs> does this happen? Do footballers purposely miss things like the busy festive schedule? It has been known, yeah. There's one, I have one friend, uh, Jack Lester, who's now the academy director at Sheffield United. What naming and shaming. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you could. this was a running joke uh, when we were at Chesterfield together that he would, <laughs> he would always... Always somehow managed to miss the festive fixtures. Maybe a stray elbow. That was the obvious ones. Or he would just rack up his bookings just in time. And, uh, Clever planning. And miss Christmas and, and enjoy his Christmas festivities. <laughs> Who'd have thought it, James? We thought they were professional. Mm. Did you ever do it? No, I've had one red card at New Year, but it was uh, it was nothing. It wasn't planned, I, I, I promise. What happened? We will be the judge of whether this was planned. Uh it was a red card against Sunderland actually when I was at Forest. I can't remember what you did. I do. It was um, we were kind of chasing the winner and then and we had a corner and Chris Brown. Do you remember him? He was, it right. was like a break, and I had to chase back and I, I tried to tackle him and I brought him down, side him down. Straight, you knew exactly what you were straight doing, off, basically. Straight off, uh, missed the New Year fixtures, so I had a good New Year that year. Did you indulge? I did, yeah. Absolutely. Overindulge? You've got to. These don't come along very often. I'm sure, I'm sure Aguero will be too. <laughs> As I'm saying, it was probably just a coincidence that he'll be out for a little while. But um, yes, Sergio Aguero has certainly been ruled out of the Manchester derby after picking up a tendon injury. Well, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests, James Restall and Paul Joyce. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. And we'll be back on Thursday.
The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.